that's coming up. Uh, I think that is not another thing to do. That is a thing um, where we go and we think about what, why do we do the stuff we do in RUF? Like, why do we do the stuff we do in Christian mission? Because of Jesus. It's a time to bond together. It's a time to be together. It's a time to think through what is it going to mean for us in the fall um, when everything gets kicked off again and we have to push this thing uphill after three months. Um, and to know that we don't do that alone. But to know that we do that with the Holy Spirit. We do that with Jesus' love and His blessing. And we do that to bless other people. Um, so I'm excited to come on a leadership retreat. Um, I'm excited to get to spend uh, Friday night with you and the Church of Good Shepherd and to scare one another uh, in, with Body Body, playing that in the dark, <laughs> which is super fun. Uh, but also to eat really good food and hang out and to plan for this next year. Um, so we're also down to the last three RUS of the year, which is crazy to think about. We've got tonight, uh, we've got next week, and we've got the week after that, and then we're done. Uh, but I want to go ahead and, and plug this for next week, is next week we're not doing a regular sermon. Next week we're going to do a panel discussion uh, with three people, uh, a guy named Bernard Worthy, a guy named James Norris, and then a woman named Carolyn Epert. And uh, they're going to talk about what does it mean for me to be a Christian in my mid-20s, early 30s, getting out of college going into grad school, going into the working world, and like trying to make it, and be a Christian in business, to be a Christian in the medical profession, uh, to be a Christian in education, or to... Carolyn uh, lives in a really cool, really intentional community in Durham called Reality Ministries, um, and she's going to talk some about that as well. Well, what would it mean for us to be Christians uh, in our mid-20s, right after college? So we're going to talk about that next week, and I'm really excited, they're really fun, uh, really cool people. Um, so I hope you're here with us for that. Um, so we're in sermon series on Acts. We're talking about what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? What did it look like for the people who knew Jesus the best, who heard his teachings the most, who soaked up his love the most in his earthly ministry? What did it mean for them to go out into the world with a sense of mission, knowing who he was, what he'd done, that God had really acted in history through this man? What did that mean for them? And I think about what does that mean for us today, 2,000 years later in Carolina. Um, I posted this on Facebook the other day. I don't know how many of y'all saw this, but have any of y'all seen that uh, Kyrie Irving Pepsi ad where he's Uncle Drew? Have you seen that at all? I think it's hilarious uh, <laughs> and ridiculous. But what it is is Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving is a professional basketball player. He plays for the Cavs. And he and Pepsi just get together and they just like basically prank people. And the, the whole premise of this is it's like four minute long mini documentaries. And Pepsi has told like these people who like go and play like midnight basketball like in random towns all over the country that they're doing this documentary on this younger basketball player. And so he's there and he invites his uncle Drew there, which is really Kyrie Irving. And like midway in the game, the younger basketball player... Uh, he kind of he gets hurt, and he's like, Uncle Drew, come in for me. Come in for me. And uh, Kyrie Irving goes in for him dressed up like this old, like, 70-year-old man with, like, a thick, like, gray beard. Like, they made him look bald. Like, he's got kind of a paunch. He's wearing, uh, like, a, basically kind of a, a hoodie kind of thing. And he looks like he's going to be terrible. And everyone is kind of laughing and joking and, like, who is this old man playing, trying to play basketball? And he starts off intentionally, like, looking really bad. Like, people are making passes to him, and they're, like, falling out of his hand, or, like, 
He'll call a shot, and it'll just be a total air ball and look awful. And then at some point, he, like, flips the switch, and he starts to really, like, play, like, Kyrie Irving of the Cavs, and he's, like, breaking people down, like, he's calling shots, like, uh, he's yelling out ridiculous catchphrases, like, buckets! (laughs) (laughs) And calling people young bloods. (laughs) Don't even know what that is, but that sounds cool. (laughs) It's an awesome YouTube video. Um... (laughs) I think you started to get a sense of what I did with most of my afternoon days. <laughs> I think there's three or four of these things. Uh, and he starts to invite his friends into it. In the later videos, you get like Nate Robinson and uh, Maya Moore of the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, she's in there too. It's a really old lady, which is funny. Um, <laughs> but what's amazing about these videos is that he starts off looking so weak and like he's going to be terrible. And then it, at some point, he, he turns the switch and he is amazing. And you as a viewer are in on it. Like, from the get-go, you know, like, these people are going to get pranked, kind of deal. And I say that because I think in a lot of ways, this is similar to the way that the gospel works. That it starts out in weakness. It starts out looking a little ridiculous, a little broken. But in itself, it reveals the strength and the power and the wisdom of God. The gospel sounds really weak because... The story of the gospel is that God comes as a man, which compared to God is a very weak thing. And he's just not not just a man, but he becomes a peasant, and he empties himself of power and riches, and he lets himself be crucified so that he can welcome sinners into his kingdom. And that sounds like a ridiculous, weak message at first, but it is the power of God to change our lives, and to change the lives of everyone else that we know. I think the trouble for us can be that we want to live intentional lives, and we want to live gospel-centered lives. But we can be tempted to show people how amazing we are, how strong we are, how confident we are. Because sometimes, I mean, to be honest, it's just easier to be fun all the time than have to deal with someone's heart. Or it can feel safer to try and be silent and just blend in with people who obviously don't know the Lord. But the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel, is that it's so good that we have to share it. It's good news. And it's not just some good news, it's the good news. That God would become a man and he would empty himself of power and he would die for people like us. To call us his children. I think the question for us is, how do we go about this mission? Like, we know what we need to do, but how do we do it? If we're the salt of the earth, if we're the light of the world, then how does that salt and light go? Where does it go? And why why does it do the things that it does? So we're going to look at three things tonight. How do we go? Where do we go? And why do we go? How, where, and why do we go? Um, And before we get started, we're here in Acts. If you read the book of Acts, a lot of it is dedicated to Paul's missionary journeys. And before we even get started in this, I just want to take a second to kind of zoom out and just think about Paul's position here. That for one of the supposed founders of Christianity, he doesn't come off looking that great. Like as soon as you meet him, he's this Pharisee, he's trying to kill Christians, he's trying to stamp out Christianity. 
And then as soon as he becomes a Christian, his life just kind of goes downhill. Like, his people turn against him. He's arrested. Most of his story in the book of Acts is him having to wrestle with the bureaucracy of the Roman legal system. Like, totally, like, having to go and, like, testify to more and more and more powerful people, but doing it in greater and greater and greater weakness. And if you think about it, that's not the kind of God that you would think, we're going to found a religion around this dude. Or sometimes people will kind of say, you know, Christianity started off as a power play. Like, this is a thing that early Christians started to do to get lots of power from the Roman Empire, to get lots of wealth from people. But none of the founders became powerful. Nobody got rich. Like, everybody, Paul, Peter, James, John, all these people died to testify that the person who saves them got crucified. Nobody gets rich. Nobody gets powerful. In fact, the story for Paul is that the deeper in this thing he gets, the more out of control he gets of his life. And yet the more God is glorified through him. And that's what we're going to look at tonight as we read Acts 26, 4 through 29. It's a longer story, so bear with me, but it's good. This is Paul speaking. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. He's talking to King Festus and King Agrippa, these two kings. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things and oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities." In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. 
But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Let's pray and ask God to open up his word to us. Father, we come with many things in our hearts tonight. The thought of new tests, the thought of internships, coming or going. And Lord, I know that as these thoughts churn within us, our souls can be uneasy and unquiet within us. But Lord, I pray that you would be with us tonight. I pray that you would send us your peace. We might hear your word. We might hear the truth and the grace of your son Jesus. Lord, that we wouldn't just throw these things out, these tests, these jobs, these things coming along the tracks. We know that they're important, and you know that they're important. But Lord, I pray that you would order them in our heart rightly, that Jesus would be first and foremost, and these things would fall in line according to your will. And Lord, that we would rest in you and we would trust you. We would trust your spirit to work in our lives. We would trust your word to be true, for it is. And God, that you would be at work through your people and through our prayers. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So how do we go? How do we go out into the world? How did Paul go out in the world at first? How does he go out to these, uh, these two kings? He starts off by telling the, the things about his life that you wouldn't normally think, this is my lead-in. Like, this is what I want people to know about me. He, said, he starts by telling them all of his junk. Like, I was the guy who was persecuting Christians. I was the guy that the first thing that Jesus said to me is, why are you persecuting me? Why are you so stubborn? Why do you kick against the goads? You know, none of the apostles, especially not Paul himself, ever come off in the New Testament as looking that great. The only person that comes off in the New Testament looking good is Jesus. And that's because none of the apostles were interested in putting the spotlight on themselves. They wanted everyone to see Jesus when they talked. You know, if Paul was leading kind of a how-to workshop on uh, mission, on going out in the world, on evangelism, his how-to would be, look at my weakness, look at my sin. Got it? Okay, look at Jesus. And that's really how ours has to come off as well. That we want people to see, look how weak I am. Look at what Jesus has saved me from. Not my strength, not my wisdom, but Jesus. When it comes to the how of being intentional, the how of the gospel, show is as powerful as tell. Show is as powerful as tell. The mission of God's people is to take the attention off of ourselves and to put it on Jesus. That's our entire mission. And all of us are going to have to die to appearing like we've got our stuff together. 
Because the starting point of the gospel is to say that I don't have my stuff together. That I'm weak. Lord, that I need you. God, by nature, my love is for myself. It's not for other people. And by nature, I'm not a wise person. And any wisdom that I would have, I would spend it on my own selfish desires. Because I love me. I don't love other people by nature. But Lord, if you give me a new heart, if you give me a new nature, Lord, I will love people. Because you have loved me. And the hope of all of us, the hope for me, is that we serve a very kind God who gives us what we need to love other people, who forgives us of our lack of love, whose affection never cools for us even when our affection for Him cools. And when our prayer life is miserable, He prays all the harder for us. That is our hope. And that is the thing we point people to. And that is the thing Paul is pointing these men to as well. Because the thing is this, that we are not saved so that we would live our lives for ourselves or testify to our own goodness. We are saved from ourselves so that we can live our lives for others and for God. And one of the best things that you can do for other people is to help them see that in Jesus, they can have a place for their humanity, for their brokenness, for their sin, for their anxiety and their worry. The fact that they want to be a good person, but they hurt the people around them. And sometimes they need to do that, and sometimes they don't need to do that. The fact that no one here is as smart or hardworking or open-minded as they would like to appear to be. Help people see that in Jesus. They're forgiven. That Jesus is the one who takes away our sins. That Jesus is the one that we trust. Paul's testimony to Agrippa here is all about how he abused his access to religion and power and wisdom. He says, I lived as a Pharisee. He defines himself by his Phariseeism, not by the fact that God has loved him or loved his people. He's opposed to the name of Jesus. He locked up his people and even voted to have them killed. Look, Paul is saying, nobody worked harder than me. Nobody knew more than me. Nobody maximized their time more than me. That was his religion. It was all about him. And our religion is whatever defines our identity. Our religion is what defines your identity. It's a thing which you hope will make you okay in the world. Whatever that is, that will guide how you use your power, either for or against people. That will guide how you think about what is wise in the world, what is wise for you to do, what's wise for other people to do. I can imagine that there were times when Paul was a Pharisee when he was a very worried person. He worried, am I doing enough for other people? Am I doing enough for the community? Does God like me enough right now? Am I doing enough? You know, I think if he was at Carolina, I'm sure that he would be worried about lots of things. About tests, about summer internships. He'd be feeling this pressure in his chest all the time. He'd be trying to relieve it any way he could. Maybe eating too much. Maybe working really hard during the weekdays, but on the weekend just kind of blowing it out. Maybe have kind of a, a secret sin that took that worry away if it was just for a second. Pornography. Maybe smoking a little pot to take the edge off. 
know, wondering at the end of the day, when I finally get to the top, will I feel good enough? When I finally do all the things that I think I need to do, will I finally be okay with myself? I think that would have been a really terrible place for Paul to be in. And I think that to know Jesus, to be able to look at him and to say, I don't have to work to get into this thing. Like, I was on my way to use my work to kill your people, and you had mercy on me. Man, that's a lot of freedom. And that's a humbling place to be in. But can you imagine that load of just bricks that just falls off his shoulders? And you're able to point people to that. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, I think for Paul, what Jesus offered him most was the chance to be a child of God. Think about this. How did you become a child in your household growing up? How did you become a child in your household? Did you make that happen? Or did someone else make that happen? Did other people make that happen so that you would come come into the world and be a child? Obviously, other people made that happen, right? (laughs) We know how that works. (laughs) How do you become a child in God's household? God makes that happen. Jesus dies for you. Jesus enters into your life through his cross, through his own weakness, through his own brokenness. So he would pray for you on the cross and say, God, have mercy on this person. God, look at their sin and put it on my shoulders and look at my righteousness and put it on them. Look at them through the veil of who I am. And he does that for, with a purpose, with an intention so that you would be his child. But also that you have a purpose in the world. Look at verses 16 and 18 here. Look at verses 16 and 18. This is Jesus kind of telling Paul, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do with these things. He says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. For what? To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus calls Paul, he calls all of us, to be both servants and witnesses. A servant to the fact that, Lord, you are now Lord. Like, you tell me what to do and I will do it. And that's a freeing thing to be. I don't have to be God in my life anymore. You are God. I don't have to justify myself to the world. You've justified me. Lord, you show me what it's right, what's right to be wise. You show me how to use my power. And that's love emptying itself out for others. And that's what Paul's done here. He also calls us to be witnesses. This is where we're to go. We're to be witnesses in the world. But Paul has given up everything, everything, so he can stand in front of these kings and tell them about Jesus. And his weakness. And so they can see Jesus' power and the love he has for sinners. And my hope for y'all is that you would be successful in whatever field you go into. But that wherever you go, whatever you do in the world, you'd be pointing away from yourself. And away from your wisdom. And away from your power. And you'd be pointing to the riches and the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's my hope for you. Because when you leave Carolina, which one day you will, 
He'll be sent out into the world of art and business and medicine and education and family. And that's a way to bless the world through the gifts that God's given you. I mean, think about this. How many like Christian screenwriters are there out there who are doing really good things in cinema? Not a ton. <laughs> Not a ton. But there could be. There could be. How many great Christian politicians are there out there? Not a bunch. But there will be. Go out and point away from yourself. And point to Jesus. And use the good things that he's given you to bless people, to serve people, to testify to his goodness in the world. You know, we're talking about mission. What does mission look like? Mission is being faithful to who you are in Jesus. And be faithful in that, you will set the world on fire. Be faithful to who you are in Jesus. That you are his child, that he has loved you, that he sings over you, that he blesses you, that he calls you to be a servant. To be a servant, but a servant like he was. It's a good thing to serve a king who knows what it is to serve. Go out and do that. Paul is doing mission here because Jesus told him to, right? And that's fine. I mean, Jesus commands us, we'll go. He certainly does. That's a good thing. But on our own, we have no power to fulfill that command. Like, we're empty vessels waiting for his power to fill us. Where does that power come from? It comes from Jesus. Mission is all about looking ahead. It's all about looking forward. It's all about looking with vision. But the Christian life isn't about looking and focusing and fixating on those things that you're doing. It's about looking at the one that you're doing them for. Imagine this. Say you, you get in your car tonight, or if you don't have a car at some point when you're at home on break, um, and you can drive your dad's car. Uh, <laughs> you get in the car, and you want a car with a steering wheel, right? You want a car with brakes. You want a car with an accelerator. You want a car with doors and windows because that's how you're going to get someplace. But when you're driving that car, you're not thinking about, is this steering wheel right? Are these brakes okay? Is this accelerator right? What you're thinking about is the place that you're going. That's where you're heading to. You look through that windshield down the road. You know, should we plan? Should we aspire? Should we dream about what we're going to do in the world? Yes. Yes. But the end of our plans, the end of our aspirations and our dreams is moving towards Jesus. Towards knowing Him, towards knowing His love, towards knowing His peace, towards knowing the fact that Jesus has died for me even when I feel incredibly guilty for my secret sins. The things that I would tell no one. He knows. And He dies for me in that. Anyway. And He's with me in those things anyway. <coughs> It's a beautiful thing. That's the thing that I need to keep going in life. Because on my own, I am too weak. On my own, I don't have the strength. I can't muster this stuff up, stuff up in me. But to look at the God who made the universe and who emptied himself out on a cross for my secret sins, for my brokenness, for the fact that I want to look like I'm a person who's got it all together, but inside I know that you know, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. And that's what's going to sustain you in life. That's what's going to make you love the spouse that's really hard to love. That's what's going to help you to love that coworker 
man who is just a really annoying person, and you sit next to them every day. <laughs> You're going to need somebody else to, to put love in your heart because you don't have it in yourself. Look to Him to do mission. Look to Him to make you at peace in the world. I'll end with this. You know those classic songs that just like stick with you? like, And they're like, there's some that maybe are being made right now. We don't know what they are. But I don't, I, I'm guessing like a lot of Miley Cyrus is not going to stand the test of time. Maybe it will. <laughs> maybe it will. Uh, but like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Like Pat. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> uh, I had one just like that. Bohemian Rhapsody is good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is like the, the party, the anthem that is at every like dance I've ever been to. That's the one. <laughs> don't stop believing. Your grandchildren will be dancing to Don't Stop Believing. Uh, <laughs> it is so good. Um, and I don't know what this guy is tapping into, but Tom Petty is like a master of writing like classic songs like this. And one of my favorites, all-time favorites, is I Won't Back Down. You know that song? I won't back down. No, I won't back down. I'm not going to sing the whole thing for you. Um, but I love it. And he says, in this, he says, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. He's singing to somebody he loves. He says, I'm going to stand my ground. I won't be turned around. And I'll keep this world from dragging me down. But I won't back down. And that is the same thing that Jesus says to you. That on the cross, he stood up against the gates of hell and he said, I will not back down. For you, in your secret sins, in your brokenness. And he does that for the people who don't yet know him as well. And he calls us to share that with them. It's a beautiful thing that you're a conduit of God's love in the world. But you are that conduit because God has loved you first. Because he has not backed down. Because he's given himself to you so that you would be free and so that you would help to set other people free from the power of darkness and Satan and to bring them into the kingdom of light and to know someone who would die for them and they wouldn't back down even against the gates of hell. So take that with you wherever you go because that's our mission. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. Because you give us your son. Lord, you've given us everything we needed him. Lord, you've united us to his life. Lord, you've given us his wisdom and his love and his power. God, I pray that you'd use these things to help us to go out and to wash people's feet. And I pray that you would use these things to help us to know that you've washed our feet. And that you've loved us in our dirt and our grime. And Lord, that we would share that with the people we are with this week and this summer and for the rest of our lives. And your sons and we pray. Amen.